Hi everyone, Mark here, and what a passage we've just had read out to us. As we see the full extent of Jesus' power and authority over sickness and death, you know, this poor woman, she's been bleeding for 12 years, and yet all it takes is just a touch of Jesus' cloak, and immediately the bleeding stops, she is healed. This little girl, a daughter, she's died. And again, it's just with a touch of Jesus's hand onto hers, and she is able to bring her straight back to life again. Now, I don't need to tell you the relevance of a passage like this for us today, amidst all the fears and uncertainties ongoing surrounding COVID-19. And is there gonna be another lockdown or a local lockdown here in London from this Monday, perhaps? And if there is, what does that mean for us emotionally? economically, psychologically, all this toll that is the effect that is having on us. Perhaps the money's dried up. No doubt there's a niggling sort of question in each of our minds just going every day. Now, when is this all going to come to an end? There is fear, there is frustration, but I want us to see the reassurance that is here for us in this passage. At the end of this particular gospel, Jesus will say to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And this is the sort of power and authority we are talking about. Power over disease, over viruses, over coronaviruses, power and authority over death itself. And God wants us to know this power, know Jesus' authority at work in our lives to give us a sense of peace, a sense of reassurance for us to know, matter of fact, that no matter what comes our way, if we are trusting in Jesus Christ and if he is in, at work in our lives, there really is nothing for us to fear. So come with me to the passage now. The passage splits into two parts. First of all, who Jesus came for in verses 9 to 13, and then what Jesus came to do in verses 14 to 26. So let's start, first of all, who Jesus came for. He came for everyone, even the worst of sinners. Let me read from verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told them. And Matthew got up and followed him. So here is Jesus calling Matthew, the author of this gospel, to come follow him and be one of the 12 disciples. But in order for us to see the significance of this, we first of all need to realise just how hated tax collectors were at that time. Not only did they fleece their fellow Jews out of money through corruption, but they also worked for their oppressors, the oppressors, the Romans. So think for a moment of the online scammer, or the corrupt estate agent, or the Ponzi scheme banker. And not only will you get a flavour of, of the hatred that there was towards tax collectors back then, but also that this is just the sort of person that Jesus Christ calls to follow him. Now, the Pharisees, they don't get it. When they see Jesus hanging out with someone like Matthew at his house with these tax collectors and sinners, they're like, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But immediately Jesus responds. He says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And so, of course, Jesus is hanging out with sinners because that is just the type of person who he has come for. The lowest of the low, the worst kind of sinner, 
the corrupt estate agent, the scheming banker. Can I just say, if you are an estate agent, if you are a, a banker, great to have you connect with us online. You are very welcome. There is nothing wrong in and of itself with your profession. I used to be a banker. The point of this section, these verses, is that Jesus Christ has come for everyone. Tax collectors and sinners. Not because Jesus is excusing their sin, but because he has come to deal with their sin. Think of a doctor who longs to make people well again, physically heal them. Well, Jesus describes himself here as a spiritual doctor. He longs to make people spiritually well, to forgive their sin, to help people turn from their sin. And so if you are someone here who doubts God's love for you, now, would God really be interested in someone like me after all I've done? after the mess I have made, after the damage, the hurt I have caused. Well, the answer is yes, of course God is interested in you because he is the God of mess, the God who is born into a sinful world, who hangs out with tax collectors and sinners and who calls them to follow him. And so if you can readily admit that you are a sinner, that you fall short of your own ideals, let alone God's ideals, well, in that sense, great, because you can be absolutely sure that Jesus Christ has come for you. And this still applies even after we've become a Christian and start following Jesus Christ, because we still muck up every day. And sometimes in terrible ways. I cannot believe I just said that. How could I have let that happen? What have I just done? But Jesus Christ has still come for you. There is still forgiveness with him, still a fresh start with him, still the promise that he will walk with you through the path to restoration. There may well be earthly consequences for what you have done, but Jesus Christ still longs to make you spiritually well. I think the challenge of these verses, particularly for those of us familiar with the passage, is that we don't make the same mistake as the Pharisees and put a limit on who Jesus Christ has come for, not them. I mean, God's not going to be interested in them. They are too sinful. They've made too much of a mess of their lives. They're too annoying. They are too hard work. The Pharisees, they show absolutely no mercy towards the tax collectors and sinners. They look down on them. They think we're the righteous ones, they're the bad guys. Jesus Christ is only going to be interested in us. And God hates that sort of attitude. This quote from Isaiah, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And that is because we're all sinners. No one is righteous. But here is this thing, until you realise you are sick, you will not go to the doctor. And in just the same way, until you and I realise we are spiritually sick, that we are all sinners, just like everyone else, we will fail to see our need for Jesus Christ, the spiritual doctor we all need. So beware a lack of mercy in your own hearts. Beware looking down on others, feeling superior over others. Beware of any sort of, we're the good guys, they're the bad guys, that sort of attitude. It is a sure sign that we have lost sight of who Jesus Christ came for. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Sinners just like you and me. 
Well, look, if that's the first thing to see from the passage, who Jesus came for, the second thing to see is what Jesus came to do. Two parts to this, to restore relationship with God, and secondly, to bring healing. We'll look at them each in turn. First of all, in terms of restoring relationship, notice how Jesus describes himself in verses 14 to 17. Then John's disciples came and asked him, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, then they will fast. So here is a question about fasting. And basically, Jesus answers it by saying, don't you know who I am? I am the bridegroom which is not just some random image that Jesus has plucked out of the air, but an image which is pregnant with Old Testament meaning. Throughout the Old Testament, God describes himself as the bridegroom, his people as his bride. Isaiah 63, Jeremiah 2, Ezekiel 16, and throughout the book of Hosea. Where has Jesus just quoted from in the previous section? I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Hosea chapter 6. This is what's in his mind as he's asked this question about fasting. The book of Hosea. And just listen to this from chapter 2 of Hosea. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. I will remove the names of the bulls from her lips. No longer will their names be invoked. In that day, I'll make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, the birds in the sky and the creatures that move along the ground. Bow and sword and battle I will abolish from the land so that all may lie down in safety. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness and you will acknowledge the Lord. And so here is Jesus Christ saying, I am that bridegroom. I am God himself, the God of the Old Testament. Come now in human form to restore humanity's relationship with me. You know, the way you've been longing, hoping, dreaming for this day when you will call me husband, sin paid for, forgiveness available, relationship restored, this promise to betroth you to me forever, that day has now come and your bridegroom is here. So of course my disciples aren't mourning, aren't fasting. This is a a time of joy, this is a time of of celebration. Now I'm conscious that for some of us here we may feel a little bit uncomfortable with this language of bridegroom and husband for our relationship uh, with God. Um, It might just sound a little bit too romantic and I get that. But this is an image we see throughout scripture with the church collectively often described as the bride of Christ. And what it speaks of is the covenantal love that God has towards his people and his absolute commitment to deal with our sin and Jesus longing to restore our relationship with his father. I'm conscious also that some of you will have been let down by your husbands. Some of you will have grown up without a father who didn't stay with your mum. Some of you will know what it is like to have an unfaithful bridegroom. But Jesus Christ is the perfect husband. 
Jesus Christ is the perfect bridegroom. And if there is any doubt in your mind to that because of the experiences that you've had in life, then all we need to do is look at the end of Jesus' life as he is dying on a cross for you and for me and paying for our sin, total commitment, all in, holding nothing back so that he does deal with our sin and so he does restore our relationship with God. I will betroth you to me forever. So yes, we do still mourn over our sin today. Um, we still suffer in a fallen world. We still long fast at times for Jesus' return. But there is real, heartfelt, baseline joy to be had when Jesus Christ is in your life. When your relationship with God is restored, the joy of sins forgiven, the joy of his spirit's presence with you, the joy of knowing that whatever happens this Monday, this winter, to do with COVID, anything that comes into your life, nothing is outside Jesus Christ's loving purposes for you. As our bridegroom, he will always do right for us. But not only has Jesus Christ come to restore our relationship with God, he has also come to bring healing, which is verses 18 to 26 and these two amazing miracles that I mentioned at the start. Let me start with the woman in verse 20. Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said, your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. Now, I know we've been socially distancing for over six months now. We know how hard that is. This woman has been socially distancing for 12 years. The purification laws in the Old Testament, the book of Leviticus, will have meant that she would have definitely had to have kept at least one metre plus from everyone else. If anyone touched her, if she came in contact with anyone or anything else, it would become unclean. So you can only imagine how lonely this woman must have been, the social separation that she had to, to deal with, the isolation. And not just that, worst of all is the actual bleeding itself. In the Bible, blood is the life of a person. Here is someone who is literally bleeding out and their life slowly draining away. So you can only imagine how hopeless she must have felt. But then she hears about Jesus Christ. If only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. And amazingly, she is healed straight away that very moment that she touches the cloak. But perhaps even more amazing than that is the fact that as she touches him, Jesus doesn't become unclean. She doesn't make him dirty. She does not transfer any of her impurity to him, but instead all the purity and cleanliness of Jesus Christ is transferred to her. And it is a wonderful picture of the gospel as our sin is transferred to Jesus Christ on the cross. And all of his perfect righteousness is transferred to us when we put our trust in him. Our poverty for his riches, our sinfulness for his righteousness, our sickness for his wholeness. 
And that's just the woman. We've also got this girl. She's dead. All hope seems lost. And yet Jesus took the girl by the hand and she got up. And news of this spread through all that region. I bet that news spread. Have you seen what this man, Jesus Christ, can do? Now at this point, somebody might say, well, look, if Jesus has got all this power and authority over disease and death, why don't we see more healings today? Why don't we see more people raised back from the dead? Is it because of a lack of faith? Is it because actually all these stories are just made up? It is a good question. But if you think about it for a moment, Jesus didn't actually heal that many people back then. Or if you think about you know, how many people who would have died during his three years of ministry in Galilee, in Judea, how many of them did Jesus actually raise from the dead? Three in total. Now, why is that? Because Jesus knows perfectly well that if he makes people well again, he make, brings people back, from them, they will only get sick again and they will then die again. No, what Jesus Christ is doing here is he is giving us a foretaste into the future, a foretaste of what one day he will bring in for all his followers. You know the way a trailer gives a little foretaste of what the film will be like? The way a showroom gives a little foretaste of what the block of flats will be like? Well, what Jesus Christ is giving us here is a little foretaste of his future and the world that he will one day bring in when there is no more death, mourning, crying, pain, viruses, coronaviruses, for the old order of things has passed away. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't pray for a vaccine. We should. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't pray for healing. We should. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't socially distance and do all we can to stop the spread of the virus. We should. But it does mean that ultimately, whatever comes our way, we really do have nothing to fear. Not if we're trusting in Jesus Christ, the great physician, our bridegroom, who will one day make us completely whole again, physically, spiritually, emotionally, psychology, psychologically. Now, this is the Christian hope. Can I ask, is this your hope? Do you hear Jesus' call here? Follow me. And if you haven't responded to him yet, let me urge you to do so today. For those of us who are following Jesus Christ, well, what a message we have to share. One of the difficulties with all this social distancing and the rule of six is that it makes it much harder for us just to be with others, let alone talk with others about Jesus Christ. And I know that for some of you, this whole lockdown has been something of a, of a pause on life, even a pause on the Christian life. But let's remember what Jesus says at the end of his gospel to his disciples, the, the command at the end of Matthew's gospel, go and make disciples of all nations. This is not a message to be kept under wraps. This is not a message to ever be put on pause. Let's be making every effort to keep meeting with one another, keep meeting up with people so we can keep pointing people to Jesus Christ, the great physician of our souls, the bridegroom who restores our relationship with God, the one who will make us completely whole again.
Well, let me pray that for us now. Let's pray. Father God, we thank and praise you for Jesus Christ, that he came not to call the righteous but sinners. He has come for us to deal with our sin. He is the bridegroom who will do whatever it takes to restore our relationship with you. Thank you for this picture he gives us of the future when there'll be no more mourning, crying, pain, the old order of things gone. Thank you for the wonderful hope we have in Jesus Christ. Please help us to trust in that hope right now, to allay our fears, to deal with our anxieties. And please, Father, would you help us to share this message with others, a message our friends, colleagues, neighbours desperately need to hear. Would they know the reassurance of this passage too? as they have Jesus Christ in their lives. We ask it for his name's sake. Amen.